Hello, listeners, and welcome to Gotta Jabrew, the episode where two friends talk about our two favorite things, the band Fish and Beer. Is it an episode or a podcast? I'm confused. I say episode. <laughs> I, you, uh, people, I mean, mo- if you go on iTunes and you re- like listen to podcasts, they're, yeah. they're called episodes. Oh, yeah? Yes, that's how they're referred to. I thought this was a podcast. I guess I know it sounds silly. I mean, well, what would you call it then? It's a podcast. But what would you call talk- what would you call each like what would you call each thing we do? Oh yeah, it's an episode. Are you welcoming us to today's episode? Are you Mr. Rogers now? Sure, just give me a cardigan. You gotta learn how to play some sick piano. Oof, that's your that's your forte. I know I can't play piano as good as that man. He's actually a really good fucking piano player. Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers, yeah. No way. He played all the original music on his show. Is he not dead now? Uh he's probably dead at this point. <laughs> Uh, I actually don't know. He's one of those dudes that never got social media, so I don't know where he lives in the world at this point. That makes me so happy. I am the Lizza. <laughs> I'm the kid. And we're jumping right in. He's Let's figure out if Mr. Rogers is alive or dead. He died in 2003. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured. Um, he, he seemed, he's a very deep part of my childhood, so uh, I figured he'd be dead. Fun non-fish fact. Uh, one of the most interesting and most beautiful things to see is him uh, describing to Newt Gingrich, I think, or some, one of those fucking old ass dudes on why they should keep the uh, PBS station. They were going to cut it. And he goes on to tell it, like, to address the Senate as to why they should keep it. Um, sure. It's really, really awesome. That's um, cool. Um, all right, so Boogie on Reggae Woman, 10-26-2013. I want to say Worcester, but it's in Worcester, Massachusetts. But whenever I see Massachusetts, I think of Worcester. Worcester, Massachusetts. Yeah. Cool. Um, I love that song. The reason I intro today's show with Boogie on Reggae Woman is because our first question today, our very first question is, if you were trying to get a, your little cousin into bass, what's the fattest groove you'd send him from Ryan Gill on Addicted to Fish? And I assume Boogie on Reggae Woman is the song that you would That is my choice, yes, which is funny because it's a cover. Stevie Wonder? Correct. Cover? Yes. Yeah, I like it better when Fish does it. You know what's interesting? (laughs) When it's a Stevie Wonder tune, it's a keyboard. It's a clavinet. It's not a bass line. It sounds um, better with the bass. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that. I like it better when Fish does it. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a great T-shirt, don't See, you? I don't think it's the word on the T-shirt that matters. I think it's the actual like pictures and stuff that pulls my eyes. So how are you gonna do that? You don't re- just read shirts that have slogan or like phrases on them. Tons of shirts are like that. Yeah, but like my favorite shirt that I ever wanted to create was a book where a page is in the yeah. middle, and then it's a greater than sign, and then there's a tray. tray. Yeah, you and I. I think we <laughs> collaborated on that idea, no. and that's like kind of nerdy, dumb. No, it's for awesome. a shirt. Page is greater than Trey. I think I'd get punched in the face a lot if I wore a shirt that said, I like it better when Fish does it. (laughs) I don't know, man. I I got shit for not knowing that a Jerry Garcia shirt uh, was a shocker sign uh, in Vegas or not Vegas. Yeah, that's just stupid, though. Yeah, I I I would have punched you in the face. I don't know Grateful Dead. No shit about Grateful Dead. Fuck Grateful Dead. Fish wouldn't be where they are because of them. I will give them that. But that's, I was just going to say that. A, you can't say that because they're a precursor for the thing that we both love. All right, all right. And they were a gigantic influence yeah, yeah, yeah. on yeah, that Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm glad I missed it. Yeah, that's you can <laughs> you feel that You don't like Grateful way. Dead either. What are you talking about? I don't, about? but I'm, I can recognize that they are like a 
very integral part of musical history. No, especially when it comes to fish and jam bands and creating that sort of style of improvisational music playing the live. Yeah, man. Sigmund Freud was the first dude to ever analyze people in books and shit, but it doesn't mean his theories were right. I mean, you get what I'm saying? You know, it's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you think fish is better than Grateful Dead? I think f- literally the, the the metaphor I would use is. Grateful Dead or the Sigmund Freud of fucking jam bands. They were the first ones. It was great that they created this community and this this whole realm of shit. But eh. yeah, Young was better. Fish was better. Young was the second guy. Neil Young? Fish? No, no. Carl. <laughs> Hyung? Oh, you're talking about Hyung. I'm talking about Young. Carl Hyung. Carl Hyung. He's the guy who came after Freud. Yeah, J-U-N-G. I used to read a lot about Hyung. He was one of my favorites, actually. He, he took something and he made it better. That's what right. Fish did. Right, I, I was obsessed with Hyung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Hyung. Just Hyung. Hyung. Um, anyway, I don't really, like, break down Fish music, so I don't really have any, like, comments on this question. Like, I can't, like, go in and be like, yeah, this is a good, like, that bass right. And I knew this is where this conversation was going to go, so I kind of <laughs> I just don't feel prepared. like I can contribute that much. I was going to say, I can prepare some things. Yeah, so, like, what are their good, like, fat be- but I love the way that sounds, Boogie Yard Reggae Woman, because of that fucking bass line. But that's like a poppy, bang, like Slap. a boingy. Slapping. Yeah. Slapping the bass. Slap it, yeah. So Slap I love bass. those songs. So what okay. other fish songs are like that? Wicked Pog Grooves like that? Yeah, of course. That's, um, I love that song. So you're naming all the songs that I would love and probably uh, right. tell this kid to uh, go yeah. investigate in terms Put of fish. yourself in this little kid's shoes he's trying to pick up an instrument yeah his uncle's trying groove to... is way too much to start yeah so that's that's <laughs> the part of it so boogie on reggae woman the reason why i picked it is because it's still bass in the front party in the back um and it's it's still fairly simple yeah it's yeah again, yeah it's, i agree it's it's a repetitive line it's originally a keyboard line so it's re- repeated as stevie wonder's freaking singing so yeah um it, it, that's where my again. That's where my mind goes. There's there's songs that you can think of where you're just like, oh yeah, Mike was really dropping a fat funk in that shit. A fat funk. But it's not like too much, you know. There's Wikipog. You're right. It's a little too much for. You it's just too fast. Yeah, yeah. The pace is too fast. Yeah, I mean, presu- presumably, don't Mike's <laughs> songs have heavy bass lines? And by that, I mean like Mike's. The songs that Mike's sing, so Mike's Mike is, sings. Jesus Christ! This sorry. is something that I look at as a vocalist a lot. Uh, a lot of the times when a vocalist and a musician are the same person, and they double up. Uh, when they sing and play, what they play gets easier. Of they course, have to focus, they have to of tap course, their head and rub their tongue. Of course, so it's the reverse. Yeah, it's the it's the songs where Mike doesn't sing at all probably have the most fat, like fucking. They all have their part in Yem. I mean, you could teach even, them the bass part of, yeah, of Yem. Even the parts in Wake Up Up where he's trying to take the woman that you move. Ooh. That part where he's just going, ooh. I'm like, I don't even that's know what how I'm, he's that's doing what I'm that saying. while yeah, he's d- slapping d- that Dude, bass. I think sing- hey, singing is impossible and playing an instrument is like being a fucking magician. Yeah. So if you had to do both of those things together, yeah. you'd blow my fucking mind. Yeah, like I, I don't ever believe what I see when I see somebody singing and playing an instrument. Because playing hard. an instrument is hard enough. Yeah, you're you're literally playing a one melody on on instrument, yeah. and then singing a different thing vocally. That's why one of those things ends up being easier, so that you can pat your head and rub your tummy. I mean, it's not a hard task to do to, to pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time. It's just something that is so repetitive that you your brain can wrap your your mind around it. That's why there's certain people in the music world that I respect a lot. 
like Dave Matthews Band is one of those bands that a ton of Fish fans are like, fuck you, you only like Dave Matthews Band. I like Dave Matthews Band because Dave Matthews can fucking sing Satellite and play it at the same time. I encourage any guitar player out there listening to this podcast to learn fucking Satellite and sing it at the same time. You can play it. It's really easy to play. It's really easy to sing. But do them both at the same time, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> I've never been able to do it. Um, Sting is obviously another person to call out playing the fucking bass and the police doing some crazy shit and singing at the same time. So those are two artists that come to mind um, when I think of uh, being able to pull off rhythmically complicated things and, and sing at the same time. But yeah, Word. So, I mean, we can, we can table your... So if your I was this guy yeah. and I was telling my cousin to get into bass... I would tell him to first go for Boogie on Regulum, which is a cover anyway. Yeah. And then work his way up to Weak Pot Groove. And there's all different things in between that run the gambit. Okay. Right? Yeah. You stole my answer. It's fine. Okay. It's a good answer. Let's move my on to answer the next was a good question. Answer. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I hate when you, because you read these questions before and I don't. Yeah. I do the whole like, so I read an article once, like I think it was even as far back as like Regis and Kathy Lee, but people who are on talk shows together, yeah. I read articles saying that they don't physically see each other before inside the, the studio yeah. Yeah, bef- until they walk out on stage. Yeah, man. They don't talk about their days. They yep. don't talk about what happened. So it's all fodder for- For the fucking show. No right. shit. So you, but my point is you have these questions prepared and but I they just- They have the script before the show. They get to know yeah, what they're talking okay. about. Fair enough. That's like how when you try to talk to me off the Fair fucking enough. air about Fair fucking enough. God at Jabru, and I'm like, shut up. I don't want to talk about this right now. I talk about fish because that's my life. And every single time I have a conversation with you about fish now, you're like, save for the podcast. Well, certain things. But like, yeah. that's most of my life. You just want me to walk around with a fucking. Yeah, I want you to walk around microphone? on the fucking air of being like, don't talk, talk to everybody else about fish. Don't talk to the kid about fish. Okay. No, I don't talk to anybody about fish. I'm ashamed. Yeah. So my friends who don't like fish shame. make fun of me. And my friends that do like fish, we there's no, like not that there's nothing to talk about, but we like know where we stand. I want you so to it's hold like, that shame for a little bit. Okay, and we're gonna go to a different question, but okay. we're gonna come back to that shame. That shame's really important for another question coming coming forward. Okay. Um. So, uh, the next one I immediately thought of you because uh, I saw this question and I started thinking. Uh, about my favorite fish song. The question is, what's your favorite performance of your favorite fish song? Johnny uh, Kofin, also from Addicted to Fish. Um, I saw this question, and obviously we both know that my favorite fish song is Free. And one of the beautiful <laughs> things about Free being my favorite fish song is that it's like the fucking mbop of fish songs. They play it every fucking show. Everybody freaking, I mean, I go ham for it. I don't know if everybody goes ham for it. But it's kind of like their, to me, their pop song. It's a good song. It's a good ace in the hole for me. That's also another that. good bass song. Yeah. Bow, like, you know. Bow out. Yeah, yeah. Bow out. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's another good. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a bass, that's another good one. So I started diving into like what I think my favorite free performance is. And because free is so oftenly played standard, I don't know what the answer to this question is. So that's why I picked, I picked it for me for that Why reason. is free your favorite fish song? Um, it's a good, it's an honest question because you love jamming. It's what turned me into a fish. Oh, okay. Cause I was, and I was gonna say, you just basically admitted that they play that song pretty standard every single time so, they play it. So there's nothing new or exciting about I'm it. I'm maybe like three or four live shows in at this point and, uh, going to my, uh, 
Fish Sherpa, J3PO, and I'm just like, I, I can't. I can't get around this fucking terrible vocals. Like, I, I like the music is great, and when they stop singing, it's fucking rocking. The drugs are great. The experience is great. The crowd is great. Like, I don't have a bad time at a fish show. I feel true happiness when I'm at a fish show, but I can't Agreed. get around their singing. And he's just like, well, go to the studio versions. And for some reason, when I, like, started perusing the studio, like, J3PO will always say, like, hoist is, That's like, my favorite is as well. like, the fucking album That's to my go listen well. to. A lot of people um, say Rift. That, yeah. And it's like, I, for some reason, A, think your answer to that is totally based on how you were exposed to fish and the time. Right, or what year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, your friend Matt, right? Yeah. We had on the show. Yeah, Matt Dickey, yeah. I, I forget. But it was like, oh, that album was coming out, you know, and that's why he, it's like he's nostalgic for it, because it was right. coming out timing. when he was getting into fish. Yeah, yeah. timing. Just, like, good exactly. comedy is important exactly. as a fish fan. Exactly. Um, But... Uh, for some reason, when I went into my dive of studio albums for the first time, I picked Billy Breathes because it's got Mike's fat face on it in a fish <laughs> angle lens, whatever photographers call that, that fish it's, eye lens. Yeah, it's, yep, fish eye. Um, yes. And I thought it was weird, and I kind of just listened through the whole album. And Free on the studio version of Billy Breathes. Has, Free is on Billy Breathes? Yes, and it has perfect vocals so now all the harmonies thing through the blink a lot so it's just like i got our blimp a lot whatever um <laughs> <laughs> the kid don't do lyrics good um that's like when i listen to prince caspian all right and it's so much different than when they play it live also what's that song silent in the morning is very different when they play it live because there's that round robin of overlapping vocals yeah. where right. they constantly fuck it up when they play it live but if you listen you're like oh this is really fucking awesome right so there's there's complexities to the vocals that are now there because they can do it over and over again until they get How, it can i ask you a question though an honest question yeah how often do you listen to studio recorded versions of Fish music? More often than I would say I listen to free or uh, live versions, depending on, like, if I'm on the subway. You listen to the studio versions more than you listen to shows? Uh, again, depending on the situation. Like, if I'm trying to just mellow out, if I'm really just trying to listen to Fish and relax, I go to studio versions. If I'm going to listen to Fish to like rock out, I listen to live versions because I want them to extend shit. So more often than not, when I'm commuting or going through like the paces of life, I'm listening to studio versions. And when I'm trying to just like hear some cool shit, I. Do, go to but live. do you think though, for you, it's because it's more easy on your ears to yes. listen to studio versions because the vocals are better? Yes, and it's not. I'm not hyper focusing on the fact that it's a train wreck for my ears to hear bad harmonies see it's so funny to me you and i like fish for different reasons i never listen to studio recordings ever right i can't tell you the last time i did and i probably only did under your suggestion right i go in i i again i view fish as a band as a as a thing as an entity as an experience right so I will go in and listen to like shows, like right. complete full shows or at least set lists. And the thing I do every single day as part of like, you know, brushing my teeth and taking a shit every day is I go to Fish OD and I go to On This Day. Yeah. And I look up what show, total full show I can listen to and what they played in what orders. Right. And to me, that's interesting because I actually do like factoids and I do like analyzing stuff. And it shows you kind of their, the more evolutions of things and the breakdowns and kind of where they fall into pockets. And like, 
Yeah. Getting back to the answer to this question, for me, the answer is uh, Walls of the Cave. And I know that you think I like obsess over this song, but I used to hate this song. Oh, really? Because like you, I used to think it was slow and boring. But uh-huh. the, like, sh- the song in its entirety is such a journey. And it's such a very uh, up and down thing. Huh. You get like the whole weird fucking cowbell intro that sounds like somebody storming a castle. Okay. And you get kind of the slow buildup, but the lyrics are beautiful and pretty, and they talk about like time and the evolution of time. And then that song fucking ends up with like a rocking finish. Sure. It's great. I love that song. My favorite performance was Night One of Baker's Dozen when they played that. They, it was huh. a set one closer, which is usually where that song falls in that pocket. Yeah. And I was like kind of a little sad like when I heard it because I was like, oh man, I have 12 more shows and I know I'm not going to get this song. But it just like embodied kind of the way of how I felt about like starting that run. The song starts off slow and like draws you in and gets you fucking hooked and then it jams out at the end. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was cool. I, I queued up uh, two versions of Free to help illustrate my point because I feel like you're having a hard time uh, hearing it. So I have- I'm not the, having a hard time hearing I it. I have- the studio version of free. Uh, you ready okay. for this? I'm gonna start playing. Okay, ready? We'll hear a tiny cry as the ship goes sliding by. Free. Did you hear the moving parts in the audience? I did. Free. Yeah, this is the part when I hear the play the song live. I hate. Right, so that's that's the studio. It just sounds like nails on a chalkboard. This is actually also really funny. I hit um, on fish.in. One of my favorite things about it is that when you look up a song and you you select it, you can hit play a random song, and it's of all the times they've ever played it. And the one that it pulled up is July twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, Madison Square Gardens, (laughs) which is like of all the freeze to pull up. It's just so recent, and we were there. It's just really New funny. Year's? New Year's MSG uh, this no, 2017? Uh, 7 2017. Also, oh, Baker's, Baker's Dozen. dozen. <laughs> it's Baker's Dozen. Jesus. Which <laughs> how funny. I hit random. Of all the freeze to play, that's the one I chose. But anyway, here's the same same section of the song. part I actually like about them playing it live is you don't hear the harmonies at all. That's the loudest part. Yeah, but the parts you hear are freaking terrible. It's yeah, a train it's, wreck. It sounds, um, it sounds bad. So it when usually I'm, sounds when bad. I'm, because they're concentrating on playing their instruments and not harmonizing. Well, not only that, it's just like they're not. neither one of them are like spectacular singers. They're all like average Joes singing. So it's like, it's again... That's why the question was they so can, interesting to me. They can fucking lay it down. They do a lot of acapella. Yeah, but I as no, they they, can't. they hold their Don't even they hold their own. Again, it's good for average guys. If a if my dad and a bunch of his friends got together and started singing, I'd be like, oh, that sounds like fish. <laughs> no, but way. you know, if I'm paying sixty dollars to see them play, I'm like, eh, just play your instrument stuff. Anyway, I digress. Um, it's it's beautiful because it's familiar. I like and the, it's not cookie cutter. Yeah, but I like the question because it really made me think about a song that I love in its purest form 
and when I hear it live, I'm lit- I'm literally as I'm listening to it live, playing the purest form in my brain, and I scream the harmonies that I can't hear, like in my head, and sing them perfectly in my head. So, answer that question. All right. Here's something that I wanted to bring up uh, that was very important to our fish uh, fish experience. When you started going to fish, and I don't know, I know your first show was SPAC, and I know one of the very first shows that we went to together was also SPAC. Oh, you're, that's not Not, not one of the first ones. It was yeah, one of the first few that true. we went to together. SPAC, okay. the, uh, so they're years It was apart, actually in obviously. 2016, so two years ago, and right. I've known you for five years. So it was but probably we, not one of the first shows we went to. No way. It was the middle part of our fish friendship. Okay. So more fish shows than I expected. Just don't try to, just don't try to speak up. Just say what you're trying to say. <laughs> okay, so when we were walking through the lot of of SPAC, walking up to the venue, there was this bus, and there was a double-decker bus, and it looked kind of weird. And there were people That's standing, at a lot of fish shows. You're right. talking about that maroon bus where they p- let people tour it and Tan stuff? on top maroon. Yeah, yeah, bottom, yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And they let people walk inside and yes. take a look at the bus and whatever. Turns out, and uh, this is before either one of us was born, and this is probably why when we see the bus, we're just like, I don't know what the fuck that is, and people are so nice outside, biting me into their bus and trying to give me whatever. That bus is owned by 12 Tribes. 12 Tribes is a religion. No way. And this religion um, sprang out of the 70s cult movement. I didn't even know that there was such a thing until, until I started doing a deep dive on this bus. Um, trying to figure out where the bus was coming from and like who was on it. Someone actually posted it on Addicted to Fish and they were like, oh, stay away from that bus. Flip them off. They're assholes. And I was like, what the fuck? And then someone finally was just like, who owns the bus? And they were like 12 tribes. And when you Google 12 tribes and go to the wiki for them, you start uncovering all this backstory and all this crazy shit. So in the 70s, they were an evangelical branch off of Are they a cult or a religion? It's a cult. Let me go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as, that's what I thought. as they <laughs> fell out of uh, the evangelical light, so to speak, they started their own sect of thing like Mormons did back in the day. And they recruit people to come join them. They have uh, their two major, major like locations are in upstate New York and in Tennessee. And they started in Tennessee. And basically, once they started uh, recruiting people, they started opening like bake shops and like a soap factory and like things. And they're all organic and whatever. And they actually used to sell these products. And they might still do. I have to do a, a follow up fact check on this in like Whole Foods and Walmart and like all these different places because it's all organic and whatever. So in the 70s, I think it's like 72 or 74 or something like that, they do an illegal raid. So the, 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 the warrant that they claim they had wasn't valid. They do a raid of, of one of the places, I think it was Tennessee, and they find 112 children on their land working. So a bunch of child labor violations. They were spanking the children on top of that and like beating them and shit when they weren't working and shit. So it was like this huge like cult bullshit. How did they get um, children? How do they get the parents that they also recruit? Like they also, (laughs) again, when you think about it now, now again, let's wrap this back into the fish. Every time we go to a fish show, we can spot this bus and a lot of younger kids drive around and follow fish. They, you know, will get in their cars and they'll drive around. They, they have enough money for gas. They've been working, 
you know, better half of the year to save up for summer tour and go follow fish around. And these people are trying to scoop them in and be like, hey, come Yeah, they're taking advantage of the fucking cultish mentality of fish. Right. So, I mean, now they're just a full out fucking cult. They have a they have places in Brazil, the UK. They're all over the fucking world now. They have multiple multiple uh kind of like outlets to kind of sell shit so so they're a religious sect that sect that believes in what um believes what, what are they trying to recruit you to believe in this one guy who founded it in the 70s who is he's not like a like messiah type shit but like he has figured out how to have happiness in true life and if you want to find happiness you hang out with this guy and his cult and you learn how to be happy while making soap and picking asparagus. So to the thing I want to know then is how that bus gets primo parking at Fishes. They fucking pay for it. Really? They pay for the primo parking. They park their fucking bus and they have a bunch of Because at SPAC, it was like right outside the entrance. Yep. They pay I mean, for they were pre- like, tor- like giving people tours of the bus. Because the bus looks really fucking cool. I wanted like to an go old timey. Yeah, it looks like an old timey thing. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's a fucking double-decker bus in the middle of well, fucking a fish parking lot. That's really depressing. Interesting story, right? Interesting, but weird. And it's funny that I've literally can, like, close my eyes and just bring back one quick flash of that bus back and me walking by it and thinking it was super creepy and weird. They, so I, I, it's, it makes me happy about myself knowing that I probably will never fall victim to a cult. Well, not only that, but what's interesting is that they're using that bus now as a symbol because it's, I, I'm, I'm sure if you go far back enough, it's been at dead shows too. They're feeding off that culture of people, and you know, more so the the younger hippies of these, you know, these kids who are just free spirited and whatever. Oh, I can go work on a farm and make organic soap. Like it's kind of fucked up, but like again, kind of like you know better. Like everybody's got that one weird uncle that you don't hang out with because he might touch you wrong. Like you just know better not to hang out with that uncle. Like we know. Well enough to not go into that bus. Like, you see it, and it looks really cool from afar, but you'll never go near it. Like, it's the fucking haunted house on top of the hill. Like, you just, you look at it from far away. Your friends will throw rocks at it, but you never go near it. It's, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Super interesting, super creepy, super weird. I do not condone cults, but I do condone free speech. Okay. So, uh, you skipped over the what shows are we hitting this year question. Oh yeah, uh, thanks Taylor at Hundle. Taylor Hundle. This is the only like actual, real, important question that I talk to my friends about. Not stupid hypothetical questions that I make up in foo-foo fairyland. Oh whatever. This you is like something I would talk to my friends actually about. Yeah, what shows are you going to? They, so it's really funny. We're going to the same my, show. Yeah, so. so no, it's funny. It's funny. I want this is a funny story. I was at a bar the other day, and my friend, who's also into fish, was like, "Hey." So fall tour. And like, that's what all my friends who are fish related and also in the beer industry, that's like the first conversation opener fall tour. So then <laughs> they're like, so what are you going to? And then I'm always like, well, I kind of just, I would be happy if I just went to Hampton. Right. And then they'd be like, really? And they'd Hampton be like, still has tickets. No, no. Right. But then I'd be like, ah, but I also probably am going to go to Vegas or want to go to Vegas. And then, and then they're like, okay. Halloween's the only sold out night of the show, of the run. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. And they're like, okay, well that's like six shows right there. And I was like, oh, and actually probably major go to this show. And they're like, okay, well that's another, like, and it's the same thing for summer tour. I was like, well, I I kind of am probably only going to go to curveball, but I have tickets to Meriwether Post and Camden. So I'll probably end up going to this. It's like just so funny because like my friend was basically saying like it's hilarious that you try to like downplay it but like you're you know you're going to go to like every show you can go to. Yeah. I think a lot of fans were like that as well. 
Um, I did not do lottery for any fall tour this year, which yeah. is very strange for me. This is the first experience I've ever had with this in my life since I've been into fish. I wasn't like fanatical about trying to get tickets to these fall shows. And I think it's probably the worst time for me to be doing this because they're playing a lot of fucking really cool like legacy the uh, only venues. venue that is sold out at current moment is the MGM Vegas. For Halloween? Yeah. Halloween is sold out. That's the only night that's sold out. Of the entire fall of tour? the entire fall tour. It's the wow. only night that's sold out. So I think a lot of people are in your boat. They're like, come on, man. We just bought fucking curveball tickets. God. Yeah, I'm like, like back. Fuck I'm you. like backloaded on a lot of fish things already. You They're know what I mean? Like I can't, I, I can't. And I also just like can't be thinking that far in advance to fall. Because like we just fucking hit summer. I'll say it again. I've said it to you off, uh, off podcast. But I, the only way I'm ever gonna go to Vegas is to see fish, and it's the one run that I really do want to go to for fall tour. But uh, when's the last time they played a Halloween show in Vegas? Uh, probably like four. Sixteen. I was gonna say it was a bunch of years. Ago, it wasn't like last year, ago. but the year before, correct? Uh, or maybe even the sure. year before that. Maybe it was 2015. It's just they don't do it that often, so I can totally understand what you're saying, and I totally get that that show, that one show, has been sold out because that's probably the the hottest ticket in town. Yeah, it's also like what it's an arena, right? It's not like a giant 10, outdoor. Ten thirty one, uh, two thousand sixteen. Sixteen. See, I thought it was fifteen. Yeah. Thank you, Fish dot in. So two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just not saying like I'm gonna jump at my fucking. Uh, like they're gonna play they play vegas for halloween when they play halloween here's the that's thing, always though. where they play the one time i've been to a fucking halloween show they covered themselves i have an did you see that in, in vegas pantsy. though then no you I saw them in atlantic, atlantic so do you City. think there's a do you think there is a possibility that they will not play vegas going forward for any halloween shows i don't know because they've been, it's been trending that's how they've I been doing f- that. i was gonna say that's how i feel i feel like i have to go see it now don't you feel like that for everything? Yes. I the way I justify going anywhere and doing anything is because I'm going to see a fish show. Yeah, but this is that's true. why I travel mostly I'll for never, beer or fish. I'll never go to Vegas unless I see fish. <laughs> well, we should work it into the plan at some point then. Yeah. You get a lot of questions here too, also about playing fish on a jukebox. Yes. So this is Dan another important Hennig. question. So this guy, you have on, to seek these people out because I would never play fish on the jukebox in a bar unless yeah. I wanted to be so booed is, yeah. or them to turn off the music or to get kicked. This out. is why I brought this up. So the meme that was posted, it's Bill Murray at a bar, nice putting together mar- uh, a margarita, and he has his hand in like the the okay sign, yeah, and he's like kissing it because he just yeah. made the perfect margarita, yeah. And the meme states, when you finally hear the twenty plus. Uh, minute fish song you selected come on the jukebox and you know the bar is in for a wild ride <laughs> so you're like relishing in the fact that you're like destroying the vibe bar. in a bar yeah yeah, yeah that's really funny um, i mean whatever i love fish and i don't give a fuck the reason why if i funny, do play fish in a bar i try to put on covers because at least people know what the songs are and they're just like oh what's this shitty ass cover of this song well, no fuck you this is why i bring up this question because the kid did play a fucking fish song in a bar and the lizza and j3po gave fucking the kid a ton of shit and said i can't believe i'm with you right now i can't believe you did this to us and you shamed the shit out of me for putting a do fish you, song on is a this G-box. what you want me to hold on to my shame this is do why you i want remember, you to hold on to your shame do you remember when you and I were at a bar 
years ago and the jukebox had fish on it and you and I put in like a collective of like three bucks. hours worth of fish yep. and the bartender was like, people are getting pissed off. I have to turn this off. He had to unplug the jukebox. Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's what I take away. <laughs> so I, from that experience, I take away the fact that I love fish, but not everyone that I hang out with and people I'm around like fish. Well, and not- when you're at a bar chilling and having a good time, people are getting drunk. I think it's cool to put like like there's a reason why certain songs are covered by cover bands like right. they're they're sing along songs they're songs everybody knows people can sing along to them kiss I want to rock and roll all night and party every day you know stuff like that so there's like there's a time and a place here's where I think we can agree and this is the only ground that I think we can agree agree on on this topic I think putting twenty dollars into the jukebox and selecting five twenty minute songs of fish is fucked up I think we can agree on that. Yeah, you, you ju- clearly don't know the worth of money if you're selecting fish songs on a jukebox because Dude, you're they're going on for, for 20 your buck. <laughs> I guess so. I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I guess it's the reverse. Yeah, you're getting the best bang yeah, for your buck right. ever. It's like I'm paying the same amount of money whether the song is two minutes long or if it's 20 minutes long. So first of all, that's to my favor. I'm <laughs> raping the jukebox, okay. and it's awesome. Point you. Uh, second point. If I have the opportunity of walking into the same bar where the jukebox is connected to Wi-Fi and someone's going to fucking play uh, Alanis Morissette or fucking Nora Jones or some shit that, I don't know, some shit that I don't want to hear, I should be able to play Fish. No question, Bart. The problem is... So really, it's the, per- it's the people who have shitty jukeboxes. It, uh, this jukebox is that connect to the internet now. And they just pull yeah, songs from Yeah, those are horrible inventions. Here's what I also will say. The same uh, incident that I'm uh, recalling, where Instance? the Lizza, J3PO, and I are sitting in said bar. I mixed in Prince, Michael Jackson, fucking Sly and the Family Stone, fucking Stevie Wonder, into the total amount of shit that I played. And I put fish in between. And I also only played one really long fish song, and it was fucking David Bowie, because David Bowie's another one of my favorite fish songs of all time. But and that's such a fucking annoying song to listen to. It's an instrumental. To. There's very little lyrics. People don't even I realize guess. it's a it's different just, it's fucking It's repetitive song. as hell. Ah, uh, whatever. But I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that it's very noble and cool of you to <laughs> sprinkle in spatterings of fish. I think that was at least being courteous to people in the bar. Yeah, don't fish Just overall, me. though, takeaway from this, I think that you should be very cautious about what fish songs you play in a bar. Keep them light. Keep them short. Don't? No, fuck <laughs> don't, you. Don't put on a 25-minute No, yem. fuck that shit. If you have a fucking jukebox that connects to the internet, guess what? I'm going to Vegas 96 and playing the 26-minute <laughs> You Enjoy Myself. Go fuck yourselves. You have to listen to it because I paid a dollar for it. That's how I feel. And I stick by it. See, like, so when I hang out in bars, I want to hang out in that said bar for a while. And I don't want to get booed and kicked out. I don't know. I don't think they can kick you out for picking a fucking song on the jukebox that has access to the internet. But they can cut off the jukebox. Uh, here's what That's I will say to, me. to end this fucking story. The, and the guy behind the bar ends up giving me props and praising me the same way you just did for saying, you know what, play whatever the fuck you want. Because I like fish, and I've heard people play way shittier shit and for way longer on the jukebox. For sure. And good on you because they spent way more money to do so. For sure. <laughs> so the Again. bartender even gave me some awesome, awesome fucking praise, which yeah, yeah. I appreciate. I'm, I'm proprietor of free speech. All right. Everyone should do themselves. <laughs>
heard it here first. Well, everyone should do themselves. We are cool. Act- that wraps up the questions, right? I was gonna say we were actually out of time. I'm gonna take us out on the "You Enjoy Myself" from Vegas '96. Fantastic. So, uh, we will see you guys after this short, uh, 15 minute break.
Hey guys, welcome back to Garage of Brew, episode 17. It's an episode. They're episodes. Don't fuck with me. I listen. I was. It's episode. It's I just an think episode. it's funny when you introduce. So, I now kind of got your handle for how you introduce a podcast every time. So, there, <laughs> as the editor of our podcast, sometimes you can say, "Hey, this is the you know podcast Garage of Brew," and sometimes you say episode and it's like really random when you do that it's like every like i don't have to say if it's an episode welcome or a podcast. to a podcast called gotta jabru <laughs> that's like every movie ever like scrolling words like star wars saying welcome to this movie yeah. this movie is called a long this. time ago in a galaxy far far away people tuning into this podcast know that this is a podcast okay <laughs> and it's called gotta jabru Fine. And I've come up with a really fun segment, I think, for beer this week. Segment. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry if I'm slurring my words, guys. The I've Lampia. had a couple of these Greenport Harbor nectar blenders, which are really, really good. So I have a question. I for pitched. You. I pitched this them them as a brewery that I really hope does a collaboration with a restaurant group. Uh, can I? I want to ask you good a serious question. So uh, shoot, I can't uh, hear myself. You. Uh, you went. Hello. Hello. I went to Greenport Harbor. You went to Greenport Harbor two weeks ago. Um, this just past weekend. Today is Tuesday um, that we're recording. And we both just went to Greenport Harbor this past weekend. Um, yes. For the doggy dock dive. Doggy dock dive. It was Honestly, cool. it was really fun. Yeah, and was I was fun. so into it. Yeah, I was into it too. <laughs> It's um, these cute dogs who basically, like, I want to say, like, three out of, like, 12 of them will actually jump or have trained to be jump off this dock dive. Because apparently dog, if you're a dog, like, going from, like, hard floor under your feet to, like, seeing just water, which looks clear, is, like, somebody taking, like, a pencil and, like, erasing, like, where you're about to walk. Yeah. So they have no frame of reference. Yeah, it was they are going to die. So, so that, was, that was the, the cutest part, yeah. was watching the dogs that had never jumped before ever, who have ever, never done a dog dive. It's a, it's a thing. This doggy dog dive is, like, a thing. There yeah. are, like, societies and, like, dogs that... There's a, there was a dude that was on the animal planet with this dog. Yeah. They're, like, trained to do this. It's, yeah. like, a sport for them. But it was really cute to see the dogs that had never done it before. Because their owners, I don't think, even knew what was going to happen. And dogs, it was are really creatures, cute. dogs are creatures of habit. So they have to, you know, get comfortable with the situation. You have to be able to train them very quickly. It was really cool. So these Greenport Harbor uh, cans that we brought back this weekend, uh, different from last episode that we posted, um, are still OG cans. You brought OG they're cans. All, they're all OG. Except for the summer ale. Yeah. The summer ale you brought was not an OG can. That's a... Summer that's a, ale's not and neither is the other side IPA. That's right. their just flagship IPA. Right. The OG series is... Uh, so Greenport Harbor has two breweries. One is a production brewery in Penna... Pennacock? Yeah, Penna, I, I could never Penna, say it. Penna, you, Peconic? Peconic. I was going to say spell Peconic. <laughs> And then they have their other brewery that is in like downtown, like Greenport. It's in an old fire station and that's where they do their like satellite brewing and their like OG series. So their experimental stuff. Yeah, and cool. all of their experimental stuff ha- is honestly really, really sick. It's very good. And you know what's interesting about that is that... Um, so both these beers we're drinking are that. One is the Nectar Blender. It's an IPA. And then the other one we're drinking is Second Round Knockout. It's their double IPA. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting about that is um, their tasting room 
is in their production brewery not in there so like and this is the other thing i only went to their uh tasting room at their production brewery is there a tasting room at the firehouse it's they they both breweries have a tasting room yeah you it, the og brewery has a, a okay. room where you can drink and hang out and yeah okay. play games it's, it's, i'm stuff. assuming it's a uh, it's super tiny but yeah, yeah they tiny, have one tiny, tiny. yeah yeah yes it's like maybe like uh for those of us who are in new york city it's like other half pre-expansion yay nay oh uh, it's it's, it's just yeah it's like a i mean it's a firehouse so imagine what a firehouse is and how tight it is but how tall it is so it's like the, the rooms floors, are, are like tight but they're tall right yeah but the tasting room is the bottom floor i'm assuming and no you walk up a flight of stairs oh, it's, it's like the mid-level and there's Wait like one second. above Do i think the brewers the f- i think the brewery's on the bottom no they do not have the poles that was your uh, red ass yeah. jesus christ everybody asked that question they do not have a pole dude if a good okay so it's kind of always been a dream of mine to have a fire so there was an old fire station that they were going to tear down in my hometown and it's like super my hometown where i grew up is like unusually old for the united states like 1700s so there's a fire station that's an original building and I always like dreamt once I started brewing of opening a gravity brewery in my hometown in, in this a fire, fire station. It's, it's the and best place to. Op- I, there are a lot of breweries that open in old firehouses. Carton is a, is one that would be of note. In Red Hook. Uh, no, 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 no. Carton sorry, New Jersey, in, in New Jersey, Jersey yeah, Atlantic yeah, yeah. Islands. There are a lot of breweries. There's a couple in Connecticut that's like the best deal, like because it's an, it's it's industrial and it's an industrial space. It's yeah. zoned for industry. It's a very good buy if you can find an old firehouse. To, to brew the, in, it's, it's I read a book. It's like how to start a brewery with a hundred thousand dollars. It's like a very well known like. Want to go commercial? This is how you do it. Like here's your handbook. Um, restaurants and firehouse really? are the two they suggest. And yeah. Of course, when I'm reading this chapter, I'm not thinking about it from like a, oh you know restaurant zoned right and like all the gas is there and all the water is like there and like blah blah. blah. I'm thinking like firehouse. Because I can fucking ride the pole from upstairs to downstairs as I'm brewing. Take all my brewing shit up top, put all the fire, put everything up top. Hello, New York police officer. Um, put all the hot stuff up top so heat rises. And then ride the pole downstairs to where my glycol system and my fermenters are. And that's my fermenting room with the tall ceilings, which is also where my tasting room is. Okay, nerd. Let's sorry. move on to the actual beer segment. I'm sorry. Because you're going to nerd the fuck out. Yeah, I'm um, yeah, sorry. Cool. So actually, this is a good segue. Being at Greenport Harbor this weekend, it was so beautiful, so gorgeous. It was full of what reminds me of summer. Beautiful green grass, doggies, being out in the sun, chilling out by a pool. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of, I love sandwiches. I love beer. Those are the two things that people typically bring to beaches, pools, parks this mm-hmm. summer. So on the eve of this 2018 summer, I wanted to talk a little bit about your favorite sandwich and beer pairing. My favorite. And any way that you can take your sandwich level to the next. Like, you know, like big up your sandwich game. Okay, so am I going out into New York City and finding a sandwich? No, you're making one. I'm making a sandwich. So first of all, what is your favorite sandwich? In New York City right now? No. What is your favorite sandwich in the world to eat? Oh, to consume. Um, Get, we're not in any place. This is just if I'm a human being asking you what your favorite sandwich is. 
probably a hanger steak sandwich with like chimichurri and okay. like garlic butter. Think about it if you're at a pool or at a park uh, or a beach, you. what sandwich would you bring? Uh, That's more of where I want to where we're going with this. Okay, cool. So Cuban sandwich. Do you have any cool tips on making a Cuban sandwich? Probably not because you never made one, correct? I've made a Cuban sandwich, asshole. <laughs> so what's a cool tip Puerto you could Rico offer and Cuba somebody? Are really close to each other. Yeah. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Closer than fucking Cuba and fucking <laughs> New York. Um, uh, Cuban sandwich it's, is typically so- like mayo, mustard sauce, like some sort of like combination of the two most of the time it's just it's mayo the pressed mustard. right it's ham it's a panini press it doesn't have to be panini press though there's a very specific type of caribbean bread that's like kind of just different it's like the way we would use like a hoagie roll okay but the bread itself comes out really flat okay and then they also press it again which makes it even super flat um in puerto rico which you've been to and visited my family there uh the breakfast sandwich that you get the ham egg and cheese is on that same type of bread it's like a sweet like fluffy bread it's it's not i to say coconut is like so wrong it's it's more like the cocoa bread that you would use in a jamaican patty that would be like flatted and like toasted on the top so it's like it's got like this crunch to it it's like a baguette and cocoa bread had a baby is the best way for me to describe it. Um, All right. So let me go first because it doesn't seem like you really no, understand was... the premise of this conversation. If I go to a fucking pool or a beach or the park, I'm not bringing a fucking Cuban sandwich. Oh. Okay. So let's first. So now that summer is here, uh, there are a couple of styles of beer that I really like to drink and I kind of gravitate toward. And uh, they're Kolsch, Berliner Weiss, and Goza. Wheat beer too. I okay. I I, I kind of pick a lot of wheat beers, but anything huh. low ABV, right? It's a good huh. like summer quencher. Wait, hold on a second. Go on. Okay, so I picked three of my favorite sandwiches and beers to pair with them. Okay, and I think that they're all good for pool beach park. They're not fucking like paninis that have to be hot and like wrapped in foil, which is dumb. Um, BLT. Classic BLT is you my favorite. They're they're my it's my favorite sandwich, and it's especially my favorite sandwich in the summer because you have access to fresh lettuce, fresh Jersey fucking ripe ass tomatoes, and delicious fucking I ham hock bacon. So so here's a funny thing you say that I was gonna ask you is being obsessed you obsessed with a BLT like a Jersey thing because I grew up no it's 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 knowing that during the summer produce is really fresh and at the height of its season there okay. there's an there are no better time. It's, so say you were a person that walked up to me and said they hated tomatoes. I'd be like, cool. I defy you to like pick a beefsteak tomato off a plant in the summer. Okay. Eat it with by itself or huh. just a little sprinkling of salt. Okay. It is the sweetest, most delicious, juicy, succulent thing you could ever put in your mouth. Huh. People huh. that tell me they don't like tomatoes, I say you go, go in the summer. Go in the height of the summer and pick a tomato off a fucking plant. I'm growing on my fire escape. I love tomatoes. Maybe it is a Jersey thing, but I love tomatoes. But BLT sandwiches are particularly great for summer because all the produce is in season. Mm. And I'm obsessed with pickles. So my little tip is make the BLT, but put on a ton of bread and butter pickles. Hmm. And my beer pairing, beer pairing, beer pairing. It doesn't matter. I I like to use whole wheat. I like to use whole wheat bread. So here's it depends. the thing. It if I anything. use sliced bread and I put a bunch of pickles on it, I feel like the pickle juice will soak up into the bread no. and make it like super soft. Nope. Which I don't like. Nope. It's how you layer the sandwich. 
Okay. Clearly, you're showing your inexperience in building a BLT yeah. here. Mm. So, same thing with the tomatoes. You could argue the tomatoes would juice everywhere. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. a matter of how you layer it. My little tip is add the pickles. And wait, wait, wait. Uh, please check out uh, Maddie Matheson's online on Vice uh, BLT. He actually candies his bacon, and his two pieces of bread are French toast. Holla um, French toast. Okay. And it literally looks like the I could jizz my fucking pants over this BLT. Here's my question. You just yeah. said that how you layer the sandwich is important. So yes. my instinct That's, is that is the that just that in and of itself for any sandwich you're ever gonna make is the key to making a sandwich. Just like for a salad, the thing you have to keep in mind is texture. Right. It's a very the texture. Okay, so so where my brain was going is that like to make a BLT where the juices don't run together, I would think you'd want the runny things in the middle. Correct. So I would put lettuce down first. Correct. Then pickles. Correct. Then tomatoes. Correct. Then bacon. Am I on? Am I onto something here? Did something Correct. just get unlocked in my brain? Because I don't. I actually fuck. put. I, I actually I put pieces of lettuce on both pieces of bread on either side after I've smeared the mayonnaise and the spicy mayonnaise. Oh, I forgot the mayonnaise. I'm an idiot. I, so I take two pieces of bread. Don't eat my I BLT. smear. I smear. Yeah, you fuck you. <laughs> I'm a good cook and you're not. I smear regular mayo on one half and spicy mayo on the other. Then I immediately lay down both pieces of lettuce. So lettuce on that is your guard, right? Uh-huh. And then you can just build up whatever you want on top of that lettuce. So, so it's like bread, lettuce, bacon, tomato, pickle in the middle. So can I... Lettuce is your guard. Can I? Yeah, I was going to say, they're going to sound like guards. They're going to protect the... Yeah. So am I, <laughs> it's like you know how to cook or something. Am I wrong to assume as the brewer in this, in this, in this room that... In this room, in this room, that what I would want to do beer-wise is kind of cut that saltiness of the bacon. Yeah, what would you pair with this? Because I already have my my suggestion. So we actually, the beer we had out at Greenport Harbor, the collaboration they did with KCBC, that's what I would pair with this. It'd be like a fruity, like like German wheat beer. We're talking about the Berliner. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was the tangerine was the tangerine beer also a tangerine Berliner? No. Oh yes. It, it was, was a Berliner beer with tangerine. I love that beer. I could have yeah. drank that it was a little too forever sour for until me. the end of my life. And yeah. that's the citrus, but whatever. Well, I, I don't disagree with your uh pairing. I think that's great. I think like I said, any uh summer food down by the pool park beach uh is you know great with a berliner kolsch anything lower abv lighter kind of clean dry wipes your palate but i picked uh bell's oberon to actually pair with my blt sandwich which is just a a wheat beer american wheat beer yeah yeah i have an affinity for american wheat beers wheat beers are traditionally either belgian or german and we actually had a segment on this a couple episodes ago yeah um, but it's very unique that you find an American wheat and a, a Bell's Oberon is it's American wheat. It's just a very clean, it's, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, a very yeah. clean beer and you get a lot of that wheat flavor, which yeah. is, is, is masked by either the banana from the German or, or the, the clove from the Belgian. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. my jam. Uh, my second sandwich is a chicken salad sandwich. I love chicken salad, dude. Like mayonnaise. Yes. Like, uh, so uh, here's, here's the Liz special. Uh, potatoes. Here's the Liz salad. special and it sounds gross, but this is what I do. Oh no. Chicken, okay. Any kind of chicken. You like dark meat, so like, you know, yeah, shred, and, shred up some dark meat. Legs, yeah. Oh, and then all you do, all you add to that is mayonnaise and relish. Shut the fuck up. Like no just, joke, no that's joke. It? That's no mustard. That, no, no. What? That is how I make my chicken salad. Shit, Pile it high out. on two pieces out, of dude. toasted bread. Oh God. 
It's I'm telling you, dude. So there's got to be components to this that we're missing. Is like the no. chicken and all the stuff mixed together warm? Like is it let, the let chicken this... is warm? Yes, that always so helps the, so because it, it melts, melts down that yeah, mayo. Yeah, it gives yeah, that yeah, that yeah. sweet, spicy, tangy little pops from the relish. Okay. I actually do also add pepper and some celery salt. Celery salt is what like the, fuck the fucking is celery. Salt? <laughs> I know what celery is and um, I know what salt is. What the fuck is celery? Celery salt, salt is like my secret weapon it's like when people think i'm out and i'm down and i have no other <laughs> nothing You're left rocky in the corner. I pull, yeah i pull out my secret weapon celery salt is like my most favorite thing in the world to use what the fuck is it <laughs> it's salt that smells and tastes like celery so it's like it's like onion grass people people typically yeah, add like a... celery to chicken salad for the added crunch but right. i think you get enough crunch from the um Relish. Relish. Yeah, you can also add celery too, but cel- celery cucumber. salt is that yeah. magical thing. Huh. And the beer I chose to pair with that is the Westbrook White Tie. It's one of my favorite beers ever. It is a wheat beer brewed with lemongrass huh. and ginger, which are my two favorite things on the planet. They're both very like strong tastes. Yeah, but it's a very light beer and it's got a lot of flavor and it's just ultra light. But so here's my question is the person who's still undergoing his Cicerone training, are you trying to add a majority of the flavor from the food that you're eating in order to complement your lighter beer? Is that what's going on uh, here? It's, so again, matching a, strength with strength is a, okay. is a pairing rule. Okay. I tend to keep to that. I like lighter beers in the summer and lighter beers are very versatile. They're usually really carbonated, really dry, really light. Right. So um, how are you impacting the flavor? The, how are you, the, how are the you lemon, highlighting the lemon The lemongrass yeah. gives you a false sense of acidity. And the ginger kind of just adds a spice that you're not expecting. Right. So and then it's all the elements of a wheat beer. So you get like the clove, the spice. It adds basically all the herbs that you'd want to add to a, a chicken salad but, sandwich. So my question is, is that if it's... My question is... Right. Can you just give me your phone? What's your question about the white tie? Have you ever had Westbrook white tie? My question is is that are you trying to impact the beer which is an american wheat which is pretty neutral and like have like again you said strength for strength that's a classic rule of pairing so if the classic rule for pairing is strength for strength a wheat beer what i think that sticks out for it that's like typical of an american style is the malt characteristics wrong because wheat beers are light and dry and highly carbonated. And they have a light, spicy quality right, to them. Right, but you're taking the biggest factor out of a wheat beer out of a wheat beer when you make it American. You're taking the cloves and the bananas We're out. We're not talking so. about American wheat beer anymore. Westbrook uh, white tie IPA is what I'm pairing with the chicken salad sandwich. Oh, fuck me. Cool. Pay attention. Yeah. It's, it's actually cool. Me have If you ADHD listen to what I say. Yeah, to- it's cool because I teach you. I believe in education. and. <laughs> If you listen to half the shit I said, you'd be a much smarter person. It's not that I don't listen. Beer. I just don't remember because I've ADHD. Last thing, and that's just maybe one of my best uh, sandwiches ever. It reminds me of New Orleans. I'm getting the itch lately to go to New Orleans. So this kind of reminded me of that. Uh, the classic muffaletta on a pretzel bun. Huh. And you can go to, we live, we live in New York. You can go to the High Dive Bar on the Upper West Side. They do muffaletta. So it's a very classic sandwich that originated in New Orleans. It is basically just like a layered uh, sub sandwich with all these different types of spicy meats, cheeses, okay. and then like green pickle gramolata in the middle. 
and you slam it all together. It's got all these layers. It's got black olives, green olives. So it's got all the components that I love. Spicy, sweet, sour, acid, everything. Smushed uh, on a pretzel bun, so it's salty and fluffy. Uh, it's really good. Um, and I was going to pair that with an Abita Turbo Dog. I really like Abita a lot. They're kind of d- not a thing here. Hero, yeah. yeah, but uh, there are two beers from them I love. Restoration Pale Ale. It's a classic, clean, normal, light-bodied pale ale that you can crush. And their Turbo Dog, which is a nut brown ale, but it's super light. It is the lightest brown ale I've ever had. It almost could be like a, just a plain, light amber ale. And that plays off the pretzel bun notes, and then it kind of curbs the sort of salty, spicy, weird acid from the uh, olives. Can I throw you a uh, a two stage curveball, like a two step curveball, like two different curveballs and two different? I want you to come up with your own things for this, because I just gave you three sandwiches that I love and three beer pairings that I love, and I want you to come up with at least one sandwich and one beer pairing that you recommend for our viewers and listeners. Listeners, see, so you got me there. Listeners, sandwich. right now. <laughs> So, I mean, if if it were going to be me, again, if... And it's right, in so the vein of going to a park or a pool or a beach. Say, so you're not going to... Like, so my favorite you, sandwich so in the world is a fucking steak sandwich. Like, so a, like a beal. Like, you know what I mean? A fucking yeah, yeah. Philly so, so, cheese so steak. Again, but so I'm again. not going to drink that at so the fucking pool. I got you. I got you. So that at the pool. I immediately think you said a bunch of different places in the summertime that I want to go to. One of my favorite places of all time... Uh, my cousin lives really close to the beach in Puerto Rico. So what I generally do when I go there is I drink Medallia. Medallia is a now a Medallia light, which is a light adjunct lager that every freaking country has. And the one sandwich that I can think of having when I have that light lager. So any light lager would be a tres pletas. A tres pletas is a sandwich. Three meats. (laughs) <laughs> I've had it. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, you jump to the end. So you have a, a a lager basically with three different types of salty-ish meats and the lager. This is actually opposite of what you said, like strength for strength. You have a lager that is very refreshing and very awesome and like it cuts all the heaviness. Cuts all the salt. Correct. From Correct. all the that different makes types sense. of meats. Yeah, so that's it's great. a uh it, it, the a tres pletas traditionally has chicken pork and beef in whatever form sitting on this like awesome like french baguette that's super soft and it has uh, the accoutrements can be anything from like lettuce tomato to like some sort of mayo or like whatever it it depends from like person to person how they make it in pr so it's it's they're fantastic yeah they're fucking so good it reminded me of uh i went to school in new jersey yeah. At Rutgers, where they have these world famous the fat things, sandwiches? yes, yeah, called the, the grease sandwiches. trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It reminded <laughs> me of the same thing when we were in Puerto Rico. Yeah, but it was great. It was minus the chicken fantastic. fingers and French fries, but like still Dude, sloppy those, in a good way. So when I was doing research on sandwiches, <laughs> there are a lot of people out there on the internet trying to recreate these fat sandwiches. So if you guys are not familiar who are listening, uh, fat sandwiches are like a thing in New Brunswick, like Rutgers invented it. And they're just, it's like everything you can think of smashed together together on a sub roll a drunk with lettuce bro, and tomato a drunk bro has access to a refrigerator where someone's cooked a bunch of fucking fried shit the day before and gets to put it on fucking bun no. but it's like a <laughs> phenomenon a because like no, you would yeah, go to great. like bodegas and delis there and they, and they would have the same it. thing yeah, no they, they would have it. the same thing so my favorite one was like chicken fingers mozzarella sticks marinara sauce mayo french fries ketchup lettuce tomato i think that was what mine was there's so Why many different tomato things tomato and tomato sauce that's insane who are you? Tomatoes, <laughs> marinara sauce for the mozzarella sticks. Yeah, it's like insane. having chicken fingers, wait, mozzarella wait. sticks, BLT. You said ketchup, marinara sauce, 
and tomatoes. How many more versions of fucking tomatoes do you need? I think this episode just proving that I'm a Jersey girl and I love tomatoes, but I stand by that and I don't give a shit. (laughs) Me and tomatoes have had a really long relationship. When I was a kid, I used to hate eating them. I used to cut them in slices and then poke out all the inside seeds because I would hate the the jiggly bits. The guts, yeah. The jiggly bits is what I used to call them. So I'd only eat the outside. So it was basically like I was eating tomato rings. Like that's what I would eat when I was a kid. That's disgusting. I've come a long way, baby. Um... Cool. Fun fact, I, you know, you and I grew up miles apart from each other, but I also grew up in a very closer suburb of New Jersey, closer to Newark. Uh, don't have an affinity for tomatoes like that. Tomatoes were ketchup to me growing up. You do not like tomatoes, correct? I was very, a uh, very conservative eater until I was about 11. So that basically means Elio's pizza, chicken Elio's. nuggets. Uh, French toast sticks from Burger King. Yeah, you were like uh, the, the fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah, you were like the atypical. Yeah. The normal, the not the atypical, the normal kid. Yeah. Who'd only yeah, yeah like breaded shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And correct. Pizza Hut. Yeah. Stupid shit. Um. Come. Al- I've also come a long way. Yeah. Uh, good for you, man. <laughs> food is fucking awesome. You know what else is awesome? Beer. Yeah. I have a little segment. Uh, I like to call beer MythBusters coming up now. <laughs> Wait, and I, are I, you Adam I, Scott I or think, am I Adam Scott? Can I be Adam Scott? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay. I got to thinking about this because <laughs> I, in our rapport, I am the Cicerone and you are the novice idiot. Oh, I'm the beer brewer. Whatever. I brew beer and you don't. So fuck you. No, it okay. just it got me to thinking that when I first started getting into beer. Okay. Uh, I had a very rocky experience because I had a bunch of people who were really cool, and then there were like a bunch of people who were dicks and treated me like an idiot because I didn't know anything. And okay. uh, it got me thinking about people on the other side of the spectrum, right? I know beer. I've trained in beer. It's been yeah, a part of my whole, life. A large chunk of your right. life, yeah. So, but there are people out there still to this day who you know are just trying to get into craft beer. Right. Right. And I feel like they're met with, especially in this particular day and age with the, the fucking, you know, birth of the beer nerd. It must be really hard, you know, to to to, to admit that you don't really know as much as you want to know about you beer. You don't want to admit. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I feel like there sure. are even certain bars now where like you yeah. can't go into where you feel intimidated by if you don't really know or have the knowledge of, you know, somebody who's studied Shout beer. Out yeah. No. Okay. So anyway. This is a segment called Beer Mythbusters, and it's there are a couple of myths out there floating around. If you're a beer novice, that I kind of wanted to like debunk or talk about because cool, I you know I believe in education and kind of training people to know more about beer. It's a good idea. So my first question for you is: Do you think that novice beer drinkers are afraid to seem undereducated about craft beer around beer nerds? Yes, that was me. Six That's why ago. I'm asking you this question. Yeah. Six years ago, <laughs> six years ago, I was that guy. The guy sitting in Whole Foods trying to find a specific type of beer and someone told me to try something else. And I was like, why? I literally asked dead in the face, why would I do that? Well, because there's something better. <laughs> but I like what I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to break um, the pattern of what you know. Like when you, when you yeah, find something that no, you like, it's sure, really hard sure. to venture out for into sure. something. Cause for sure. Okay. It's, you know, you, and you, this definitely touches on one of our myths. Yeah. So let's jump right into them. Cool. First one I have is myth. All hoppy beer is bitter. Uh, I would say the average person trying to get into beer would think that were true, 
as a home brewer, I've very quickly found out that that's false. Right. So um, put yourself in the shoes of a novice beer drinker. Okay. Typically what I've found is precisely this, that when you say hoppy, people automatically think that means bitter. Absolutely. And people who do not like beer tend to have a very sensitive palate toward bitter. Absolutely. Right. I went to sweet first. That's where my right. palate like kind of right. floated towards. Right. Yeah. right. Absolutely. Right. You're 100% correct. So the facts behind this myth are hops themselves are obviously bitter. They're yes. used as a bittering agent correct. when you brew a beer to balance out malt sweetness. Correct. Right. The sugars in the malts, yes. C- correct. So honestly, they're just the like yin to the yang of brewing beer because you have all these sweet malts and you want something to balance out that sweet malt taste. Right. You're bringing a bunch of flavor to a liquid so you're bringing sweet and to balance out the sweet you, you need, need to bring something bitter, bitter. correct yeah, it's just, again just yeah. like cooking that's yep. why i love beer i'm a huge foodie huge cook huge beer anyway i want to bring up this uh exa- exa- example oh my god i just stuttered there <laughs> hardcore <laughs> um bell's brewing company out of kalamazoo michigan uses the most hops in any recipe in their kalamazoo stout they use more hops in that recipe than they do in their IPA. I bet it's and really it's balanced all to out. balance out that the intense chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Roasted Dark yeah. roasted chocolatey shit. malt. Correct. So again, we're kind of trying to debunk this myth that all hoppy beer is bitter. Well, wouldn't you say the antithesis to that is that you could have a beer that's incredibly dry hopped. So now you're using the aromatics of the hops and all the things that would make it bitter in terms of the boiling. And what makes a liquid get more bitter as you boil the hops is the agitation, the release of the the lupulin oils and it dissolving into the water. That's what physically makes it bitter. But there's also an aromatic component. So if you were to have a beer that was incredibly dry hopped, that wasn't hopped very heavily in the boil, you'd have this crazy bitter smell but a very light taste. And that's yeah, also so, Can you speak to, to that a little person. bit as a brewer? So I made, <laughs> talk about speak to it you as can, a brewer. You can make a beer that has t- 10 ounces of hops, but if you add them all a flame out and dry hop, all you're going to get is aroma. Is smell, yeah. Correct. So, so speak a little bit to that. So the liquid itself. Debunk this myth. Yeah, I was going to say, so the liquid itself is, is bitter based on how you go through your boil phase of brewing so as you release it's, it's how hops are used in the brewing process it I, honestly let's point? talk about it in terms of a fish kind of dynamic it's the way that people are starting to think about brewing with weed and the idea is that if you infuse it in a flavor stage, it'll, you know, get you stoned. Let's say it that way. So that's actually not true. What actually gets you stoned is the actual uh distillation of THC into the liquid and the way you do that is through the oils and the better way to do that is uh, post flame out because you want to imbue that liquid you want to like kind of force that flavor that 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 not the flavor but the THC into that specific stage so you don't want to agitate it with hops it's the opposite way of thinking if you want to get the smell of it and the aromatics of it that's the post where there's no agitation and no heat no heat is not breaking up those chemical like bonds of like those citrus flavors and all that stuff so it's staying together and that that kind of shines through as opposed to like putting a hop into a boil which you're breaking up those chemical bonds and you're kind of like forcing that thing apart and you're actually making the liquid sustain that bitterness right so, it's like steeping tea in water exactly yeah it's the, the longer the, you do it the more bitter flavor you're gonna get right i also so, think it's important to note that 
um, when craft beer was coming into its own, hoppy definitely did used to mean bitter, and that's because there was a very limited amount of hop varieties available. Yeah. They were all kind of that super piney, super bitter hop. Yeah, there was like today hops there are there are hundreds hops, of varieties yeah. of hops, and yeah. the flavors span from tropical citrus to grassy to flowery and even to vegetal like onions and garlic. Yeah. So you it, again depends on the ingredient and depends on how you use it when you brew. Yeah, it's it's. Interesting to me that like what you're saying is how people think. Hoppy means bitter. Right. That, so so to, the takeaway from this debunked myth is not all beer hoppy beers are bitter. And if you don't like beers that are bitter, you should tend to kind of gravitate towards traditional styles that are not using hops for bitterness to showcase that just using the hops to balance out that malt so i have listed uh english bitters old ales and barley wines mm. which, are not, which, are, which are not really popular styles right now right so anything that thing. isn't typically quote-unquote trying to showcase the hops. so i would say if i'm the average beer drinker right now what you're saying to me is download uh, the BJCP guidelines and kind of know your style because your style is really going to dictate how Correct. the bitterness is going to fall. Correct, Amundo. Nailed it. Next myth. Canned beer is worse than bottled beer. Uh. This is one that I feel like I am the fucking dude who pushes the rock up the hill and I'll be doing it until the day I fucking die. So you'll hate me. I was the opposite guy. I was so the guy who thought many this people... myth to be true. Yep, <sighs> okay. I was that guy. So, facts. Uh, cans were introduced into the beer brewing market in 1958, but quote-unquote classy beer, so high-end craft and European imports, remain brewing in bottles. If you fast forward to 2002, the brewery that actually made cans a thing in the craft market now is Oscar Blues. What? They partnered with Ball and they started canning all their beers. Huh. And so <laughs> the thing I hear most often is people don't like drinking out of cans because they think it tastes like aluminum. They Skunk. think it tastes like metal. It's, yeah, it's the thing you hear the most. Yeah. The beer's two enemies are light and oxygen. And if you put beer into a can, you can automatically throw those two things out the window. So the best package for keeping beer fresh is a can. Yep. And I think there's just this stigma that canned beer is low class and trashy and whatever and cheap. But it is actually uh, becoming a method that is adopted by tons of craft breweries because it's the most efficient and practical way to deliver that liquid to the consumer fresh and it's also cheaper and it's also better for storage yeah and eco-friendly like you don't like if okay if i take a can camping and i can crush it under my foot and throw it into recycling that's one thing if i take a bottle of something and crack it on the ground at the campgrounds and someone else steps on it three days later and gets an infection because they cut their foot on glass so what's interesting about what you're saying too i was the guy who once believed that beer could get skunked so i would add on to your myth that there's a common like average Joe myth out there that if you take a can of beer and you take it to room temperature after it's been cold and then go back to cold, that it's ruined. And that if I open it and taste it, it's going to taste like metal is what I've, that's, that's honestly a true false. myth that I've been told. Totally false. And again, that's why I bring it up. At it's the a, end of the day, I really want, this, I believed is, it. this is an important myth for, for me to debunk. If not the most important myth, cans are the best vessels. Yep. But packaged craft beer, 
And if you are convinced that you can psychologically link a can to taste like aluminum in the beer you drink, just pour it out of the can. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my takeaway. Yeah. Always look for freshest beer in cans. And if you have a problem with the drinking out of the can, pour it into the glass. And as a brewer, I can say I learned very quickly that like struck light struck and oxidation are very important so correct cans are the best next myth beer should always be priced cheaply do you what find do you, do you find do you, do you find coming across this law i do I, I i find this to be a stigma as well what, people think yeah. beer should be cheap what do, what do you mean by cheap cheap in price Lo- so lo- low cost expand because liquor and wine were always like highfalutin you know it's what the classy high wealthy you know okay. people drank right so beer has always traditionally been the quote-unquote like working man's drink yeah so right? here's the here's the the myth that i'll substantiate and that is a true myth and i do face that a lot in today's society yeah beer market yeah i would, I would imagine so Here's what I would say is the average guy who knows nothing about this actual fact. I would say buying anything, buying wine, buying liquor, buying beer is always obviously the cheapest route. I would say of the three of them in terms of buying them as a consumer, I would expect beer to be the cheapest. And when I say that, I mean that like an average beer in a 30 case of anything that I could buy as a consumer would be a dollar or less than a dollar per beer. So kind of yes. Like if, I, if I'm coming in. Okay, at, like, here's where I'm coming at it. Yes, beer should really be on the cheaper side as a quote unquote uh, value purchase compared to wine and compared to liquor. But again, there's always the right beer for the right situation, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't mind, you know, if I'm getting together with some friends on a weeknight to bring over a six pack of cans that, you know, cost me 10 bucks, 12 bucks, right? A moderately priced, sort of still good quality craft can beer. Can. Yeah, yeah, right, Just right, 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 sure right. Page, yeah. right. But I think people are very quick to discount the fact that people who brew beer also use the same practices as winemakers and liquor makers. And if yeah. I go into a store and I see a goose that I think is awesome, that beer minimum has had Cost to ferment yeah, yeah, yeah. for three years because it's a blend of one, two, and three-year-old lambic. Yeah. Right. So I think it's it's important to note that uh, a well-crafted beer (laughs) sometimes takes time and patience and dedication. And all of that equals up to labor costly, costly efforts on the brewer's part. And that translates into the the product that you are. So I come back to our previous myth. Know your style. Like, you know, there's there's certain styles that just Correct. cost more to make. You, you need to, So if you go into a freaking we're in New York City, if you walk into a fucking Dwayne Reed and you try to buy a fucking IPA, which uses ounces more of hops than a lager. And you're like, why does this cost six dollars instead of fucking four dollars? It's like because know your style, asshole. Is what you're saying. Part of knowing your style is also knowing how long it takes to produce that beer. Yeah. And I think that's what we're both kind of agreeing on. Yeah. Agreed. So, again, I. I don't mind. I'll be the first to admit. I don't mind grabbing a fucking eighteen pack of buds and drinking that on a Sunday for when I watch football. Yeah. But I also go to rare beer shops and look for like super cool, awesome goozes and fucking stouts and barrel aged this and that. Yeah. 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 So like it it just depends on what you're looking for, and you have to understand that uh, the value the value is linked to the price. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Right, right. Cool. Next myth. Uh, beer freshness is overrated. <laughs> this is another one that I have a really huge fucking issue with. You taught it to me. People think it's bogus that <laughs> beer has a shelf life. I think because people are not trained and conditioned to think of beer as food. Yeah. I think one of the greatest um, things that you ever taught me in realizing this is how, um, how like, uh, what's the nice way to say? Fuck it. How big of an asshole A and B, Heineken, Corona, these like massive players, like these massive micros are about their bottle dates. Macros. Yes, sorry, macros. So you know, like, I will never have a Budweiser that's out of code, and like I again, I wouldn't know this from a general consumer standpoint. They pay people a lot of money to go around and make sure that their beer is in code. So I mean, I've never had a dirty Budweiser. You're um, fucking lucky, dude, because that actually happens a lot. I think this kind of piggybacks off the last myth. I think you have to know your style, right? So mm. beer freshness is not this fucking bullshit, wackadoo, trendy thing. Beer is food, so you have to know what beers are meant to be consumed fresh, and you have to know what beers are meant and intended to be laid down and stored in a cellar at the proper temperature. Right. And typically, when you look at a bottle of beer or can of beer, it says on it what you should do with that beer. It gives you the out-of-code date or the born-on date. So, you know, when kind of the window you're supposed to drink it. Mm. And then if it's a fresh, pale, light, hoppy beer, you basically want to drink that beer as close to the production date, as close to the place it was brewed. Can I ask you an honest question? Yes. Is a good rule of thumb, again, as the, uh, again, a brewer and I I bottle and I, I, I keg and do all that stuff. But as a consumer, is a good rule of thumb is that I should not lay a beer down unless there's a cork in it. No, no. It has nothing okay. to do with that. It's stylistic. I was going to say, a cork and caged beer It depends beer to on me, style. A corked and caged beer to me means that the beer could continuously ferment and they want to allow that CO2 Right, so that is a the... living beer. That's different from laying a beer down. If I had okay. a beer like, let's say, Goose Island Bourbon County Coffee, okay. one of my favorite beers that was ever brewed, comes in a 22-ounce cat bottle. Okay. Right? That beer is designed to be rested. That beer is designed to be laid down at the perfect cooling cellar temperature and open mm. in a couple of years. And that coffee and the whatever else they put, all those flavors are going to become uh, better. Yeah. Right? And it comes same, to the same thing the as taste, if yeah. you a beer is super strong and intense. And the reason why you want to lay it down is because those flavors are going to mellow. Right. So good rule of thumb is IPAs, Saison, Pale Ales, those things are really designed to be meant uh, to drink designed to be drunk fresh anything that exemplifies itself on smell is fresh correct other beers basically anything high abv sour stout smoked beers those can all be stored uh, as long as it's at the right temperature uh basically their flavors improve the longer they they rest is there I, I, so the takeaway is to check your bottle dates and if you're purchasing beer intended to be served fresh drink it fresh <laughs> and if you're going for like a big barrel aged barley wine or a stout that's 14 percent, you know you can lay that down for a couple years am i wrong to think that a rogue drink by should be drunk by <laughs> stone stone should be drinks <laughs> you're not wrong it's not yeah. a, again. Yeah. This is why I wanted to talk about this. People think it's a marketing gimmick. It's not. Like it's, it's not. You're right. To to some extent, uh, what say- what the brewers' quote unquote parameters are is what they. It's what they've dictated, right? So maybe it's not 
quote unquote horrible, bad, sour, spoiled, you know, in undrinkable if it's a day after the day it says it's supposed to be drunk by. Right. But they're just giving you a frame of reference. So right. you know again from the day that it was packaged to the day that they're saying that they that's the day they consider that beer to be when you drink it something they don't intend, intend for you to have right so they want it to taste the way they want it to taste between this and they're telling yeah. you that the best way to do it right is to drink it between this these parameters so this is how i'll say it uh right now i just finished brewing uh saison um that saison is brewed a very like you know awesome way and whatever but i also dry hopped it um, i dry hopped it for a very specific reason to get a very specific smell off it dry hopping uh in terms of aging is terrible it falls off i would say as quick as two weeks if you get a beer that has been made that has been dry hopped and it's you know six months old i would argue that all the aromatics are gone Correct. So there, again, know your style, know what, what you're intending to do. If you have a beer that is super bitter by value, you know, talk about another myth that we were busting, that bitterness means uh, hoppiness. Um, I can use 10 ounces of hops and put five ounces in the, the boiling part of it and five ounces in the dry hopping part of it. The five ounces that I put in the boiling hop of it are going to see through those six months the five ounces that i put in the dry hopping part of it is going to see it through maybe the first three months so there is a massive fall off for like what you're trying to accomplish and knowing what that is again i feel like this whole point of this segment has been download bjcp guidelines start understanding your styles basically be the kid and start educating yourself on yeah, like just start doing some like. research you know it's important. It's the same way that it's important to like understand wine and liquor. Like I did not understand what it meant for something to be more sherry or more peaty in terms of whiskey. And what I've come to find out, I like more peaty whiskey. Scotch is where that really that peat moss comes from. It gives this really smoky and really medicinal flavor, as you like to call it, the Liza. When you have a whiskey that's light struck, uh, you'll start losing that peatiness. You'll start losing the smokiness. You'll start losing the characteristics that some people really enjoy. And the sherry will like that that like sweetness will start to like come towards the forefront so in that same sense you kind of have to like know your palate well enough to like figure out like what is it that i really like about a beer is it the bitterness is it the aromatics is it you know the the viscosity like how it feels on my tongue like it, like wh where am i going you know like when and what do i need to do to exemplify the 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 things that i like about a specific style so my favorite thing is allagash white it's one of my favorite like beers to drink in the world. And what I've come to find is that you have to have it the most fresh in order to get the most out of it because the yeast is the most important. And the longer you let it sit, the more it mellows out. Awesome. Cool. So I hope we debunked some this beer myths for you novices out there today. Um, feel free. Can they reach out to us and email us with questions yes. and comments? Cool. Whatever. Do that. At gmail.com. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for joining us for episode 17 of Gotta Jabru. What are we going to go out with? Do you have something prepped? Yep. What is it? Your mom. Cool. Join us next time for episode <laughs> 18 of Gotta Jabru. I am the Lizza. And I am the kid. See you next time.
Come on. 